It cut Luther to the core when he read the words of the young Emperor Charles, who wrote, A single friar who goes counter to all Christianity for a thousand years must be wrong. Luther couldn't help but wonder, could the Emperor be right? Now that Luther is safely ensconced to the Warburg Castle, Luther was free from the day-to-day challenges that consumed his attention after he inadvertently started the Reformation. He could finally stop and deeply consider the words of the Emperor. Was he the only person in a thousand years who could rightly read the Bible? As he always did, Luther sought his answers in Scripture, eventually settling on an unexpected reading to evaluate his leadership and ambition, and the leadership of the, and ambition of the Pope, the Song of Mary, the Mother of Christ, the Magnificat. I'm Mike Yeagley. And I'm Evan Gertner, and this is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to a discussion on the history and theology of the Lutheran Reformation all over a nice cold beer. By early 1521, time had finally run out on Luther. The Pope had declared him a heretic, although he hadn't yet published it. Uh, Charles V, the newly elected Holy Roman Emperor, agreed with the Pope. And after the Diet of Worms, he said, I am determined to proceed against Luther as a notorious heretic. Now, you have to remember that in the 1500s, if you were a notorious heretic, you were an outlaw. And you could be legally murdered, killed. They wouldn't have called it murder. It was was a justified homicide, right? Justified homicide. So... After the Diet, a whole bunch of leaders got together with Luther uh, to try to convince him to back down. And in the last episode, we talked about the carousel of people that entered Luther's room to try to bring him to a point of compromise, maybe even just to submit to the emperor or submit to a council. And eventually Luther said, I cannot compromise on the word of God. I will go to the emperor or I will go to the council, but just know this. The thing that will always stay true is the word of God. So one of the things that I found interesting was that where the Roman Catholic Church mostly wanted Luther to back away from the Babylonian captivity uh, and the open letter to the Christian nobility, the nobles wanted Luther to distance himself from the freedom of a Christian. It's not totally clear what they wanted from this. They were most likely hoping to get all the nobles to unite against the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor. I assume many of the nobles were really uncomfortable with the first part of Luther's opening statement in The Freedom of the Christian, where he says, A Christian is perfectly free, Lord of all, subject to none. That that probably got them shaken. That's revolutionary. Yeah, that's got them shaken in their boots a little bit. Uh, but Luther's making the point that we are all free from our obligations to the law through the work of Christ who has completely been obedient to the law. And now our keeping of the law is not as a subject, but as uh, a child of God. Now, it's interesting that, you know, they're looking for that. To They thought that they could, you know, looking at this, it was obvious the the, the papal position really had a problem with the Babylonian captivity of the church. They're focusing on the freedom of the Christian. They obviously had some sort of political view in mind. Where so they're trying to find something that will keep all the nobles united, keep them strong, and maybe even be in opposition to the Pope. Yeah, where the, the, the other, there was another group that was trying to get Luther to recant the Babylonian captivity of the church. And they said, listen, if you could let that go, then the moderate Catholics... And the the Lutherans could get together, and the, you, but everybody was trying to work together to come up with something to make this work out. Now Luther's not going to budge. He had come to the conclusion that quote a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, through his study of the Bible. 
Yeah. And so that's, that's, you know, when, when Luther is, you know, finds something in the Bible, uh, that's, you know, that's, of course, he's not going to back down with it without scriptural reasoning. And if he's not going to back down on something he believes in because it accords with scripture, uh, when his enemies ask him to, he certainly isn't going to back down uh, from something he believes accords with scripture if his friends ask him. So when Luther, so Luther leaves Worms on, uh, on April 26th with uh, Jerome Scherf and Nicholas von Amsdorf, and he only has 21 days of promised safe conduct from the emperor. And once that promised safe conduct is done, anybody can kill him, like we said earlier. And as part of the safe conduct, the emperor provided a small troop to travel with Luther to make sure nobody would hurt him. But Luther released these imperial troops after only a couple of days of accompaniment, and they returned to Worms with letters from Luther to the emperor and displayed, uh, supposedly also for Frederick, where he explained his actions at Worms. Yeah, so... So Luther's told that you can you can have safe conduct so long and, and literally do not stir up the people either by teaching or writing. Now Luther isn't necessarily putting himself out there as someone who is going to stir up people, but if someone asks me to talk, I will talk is essentially the way Luther handles this. And he's asked City and the Abbot in Hersfeld of uh, the Benedictine Cloister, sent out the Chancellor and the Treasurer to welcome Luther. And the Abbot himself met Luther just outside the city of gates, along with other riders. Now, Luther is welcomed by the city council. He comes into town. He's welcomed by the city council. They wind and dined and dined by the abbot. And then the abbot is pleading with Luther to preach. And Luther doesn't want to preach, mostly because he's concerned for the abbot. He, he's, you know, he doesn't want to create problems for the monastery. Uh, and, and eventually Luther agrees because he's, he, uh, because he never consented that the word of God could be bound. So this idea that he agrees not to stir up the people by teaching or writing, um, according to his opinion, doesn't apply to the word of God. The word of God, wherever it stirs up people is not bound. You and can't chain the word of God. Very similar to what Peter says in Acts, right? Where they... they, they I'm, well, I'm glad to uh, follow your laws, except that we have to keep talking about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so so what what ends up happening is um, right after that, uh, they, they continue on. They go to Eisenach and uh, Jerome Scherf leaves the group right after Eisenach to continue on to Wittenberg. Uh, Luther and Armsdorf continue in the wagon to go to Luther's home, his grandfather's hometown of Mara. Uh, and, you know, and then after they leave Mara, Luther's kidnapped. He's kidnapped in a Thuringian forest, not from the Altenstein Castle, a group of armed men on horses. They came out of the forest. They stopped the small traveling party. And so... They ask, which one of you is Luther? The guy points at the, the driver. The driver, he's the, terrified. The driver's terrified. He points at Luther. Take him. Uh, so Luther uh, takes off with this with this arm. They put a hood over his I assume in the movie. They in the movie, him. there's a hood over his head. The armed were, in fact, two nobles. The the keeper of the castle of Wurtburg, Hans von Bursplek, and the resident lord of Altenstein. So they, they take Luther. They, they ride off into the, uh, into the woods. And they take him to the Wartburg Castle, uh, which is owned by Frederick the Wise. And in Eisenach, it's a, it's a castle that overlooks the city in which Luther spent time as an elementary school student. Now, the the way this all went down was that Frederick the Wise could honestly say he had no idea where Luther was. That this was all done in a way that Frederick had plausible den- deniability. He, 
And and so Luther is gone. Nobody knows where he goes. So, so his stay in the Warper Castle begins in May of 1521. And he stays there for about 10 months. Now, during that time, he's told, you know, don't go anywhere. He goes on a little bit, but that first few weeks when he looks the same. There's basically one rule. Luther, don't be recognized. He had to be kept in total seclusion in his room, which was just behind the knight's quarters at the front of the castle with the retractable stair until Hans could create a disguise for Luther so that people would believe he was actually Junker Jorg, a knight of the lower nobility. Now that Junker Jorg, I've actually thought about that. That's Knight George. Or Squire George. So it's not like a knight of a high level. It's kind of a low level kind of squire i wonder if that's a reference to you know george saint was it saint george yeah. and the dragon like saint george's day had just been previous in the um while they were in worms the the feast of saint george had happened okay okay yeah so so the, uh the, and for those of you who aren't familiar with roman catholic stories your george the, the saint george slays the dragon and I don't know much more protects about it. Protects the empire. Protects the empire. So maybe Luther is protecting the empire through slaying the dragon of the Pope. I don't know. But yeah, that's... both Germany and England uh, call upon uh, St. George that way. So Luther grows a, a, a doublet, which is sort of a, a... Or no, a doublet is the, the cloak, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, that's a cloak. That's, so that's replacing his uh, monastic uniform. Okay. And then he grows new hair to fill in his tonsure. The tonsure would be the bald spot on the top of his head that often in Luther movies is kind of poorly done. And you're like, I guess the actor didn't want to go full bore and shave that part of his head. <laughs> he also grew an unruly beard. And he was told not to show interest in any written materials. Now, this this whole process of becoming Junker York really was a problem for Luther. And the biggest problem might be the diet. Yeah, he had to eat rich foods like the like the knights ate. And he said that this food gave him a bad bout of constipation. You know, it's he funny. He discusses it in his letters. <laughs> That's one of the things. The 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 scholars that i read that are talking about this are like yeah he talks about constipation a lot a lot <laughs> he does <laughs> and like, and splain eventually sent some laxatives to help relieve luther's discomfort so and then the, hans tried to help uh, hans, by inviting luther to go hunting with him maybe luther just needs to get some fresh air yeah this hans burlipsch Ber, 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 I, I don't know how to pronounce that we'll call him hans but the, the knight who's protecting Luther, who was part of the party... He's the actually, castellan. He's the head of the castle. Okay, so... The keeper of the castle. He was the one that, that kidnapped Luther. He's the one that's protecting Luther. And now he's saying, listen, we've got to get this guy out. He's going nuts in there. We'll get, take him out hunting. I know I enjoy hunting. Let's all go hunting together. What was Luther's opinion of hunting? Oh, he hated hunting. <laughs> he wrote to a friend, there was some point in tracking down bears, wolves, boars, and foxes. But why should one pursue a harmless creature like a rabbit? It was actually a rabbit that ran up Luther's leg. And to escape was, from the dogs. Yeah, and, and the dogs actually chewed through the, the material, the cloth, to get at the rabbit. And so right at Luther's legs, the dogs are chewing on the fabric to get to the rabbit that has crawled up his leg. Yeah, and, and eventually they got it. But Luther is, Luther's comment there is, this is just like the Pope and the devil treat us. So Luther continually wrote to his friends about how much he hated being in the Vorpur. He called it my Patmos. 
That's a reference to John the Evangelist as uh, the apostle of Jesus who writes the Gospel of John in the letters um, who had been exiled to the island of Patmos. He also mentions, I would rather burn on live coals than rot here. So what is his opinion of Warburg? Not so hot. Not so hot. (laughs) Now, from his personal letters, you would think this was a period of being incredibly unproductive and just torturous boredom. So he writes to Melanchthon and he says stuff like, I should be ardent in the spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, and sleepiness. You know, by the way, I was reading um, a Catholic, very conservative Catholic uh, defense against Luther, and they actually reference this. They say, is this the way a leader of a church should be thinking? You know, consumed with lust? What the heck? And, and it's it, it was sort of a, on the other hand, I appreciate his revelation of vulnerability. And, that and, life is hard, and that's 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 the different. That's how we look at things: is that hey, we're all sinners and saints, and 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 we all have these these problems. So as much as he may write that he wants to burn on live coals rather than rot there, it is it's, it can't be further from the truth. Luther it, was more productive during these ten months than he was. At almost any other time in his career. Luther translated the New Testament from the original Greek, helping to define the modern German language to be defined from the court language of Saxony. Uh, So there's so many dialects within Germany, but by uh, translating the Old Testament, I mean, sorry, the New Testament Greek into German, utilizing the Saxon court language, he brings some uniformity throughout Germany. And then, I mean, he he wrote like a dozen books in 10 months. Along with sermons and other writings. Unbelievable. But the solitude and loneliness were tough on Luther. Uh, This time of seclusion uh, could allow him to think about everything that was happening. Even more than his struggles with food. You know, Luther was, you know, and and his struggles with food, his disdain for this life as a knight, this hunting, all the problems, what he really struggled with was his own conscience. So he has a lot of time to stare at the mirror and wonder, who am I that I have the position to start all of this? You know, and, and in his writings he, he in this period, he's saying things like, Are you alone wise? Have so many centuries gone wrong? What if you were in error and are taking so many with you to eternal damnation? He also wondered if he was supporting the gospel strongly enough. He said, My conscience troubles me. Because at Worms, I yielded to the importunity of my friends and did not play the part of Elijah. They would hear other things from me if I were before them again. And then, you know, really being alone and idle was especially difficult. He writes, I can tell you in this idle solitude there are a thousand battles with Satan. It is much easier to fight against the incarnate devil, that is, against men, than against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, often I fall and am lifted again by God's right hand. So, Mike, in your trips to Germany, have you had a chance to go to the Wartburg Castle? No, I have not. So I've been there a couple times, and there is Luther's study there. They've got the whalebone, they've got his desk, they've got the quill. And what I find is nothing in that room is original. Um, because it's all been taken away as souvenirs over the years. Okay. And so they've tried as much as they can. Uh, but there is this kind of, uh, this turnaround a long hallway. And suddenly there's this door and you look into it and you can't get all the way into the room. And there's this sort of like hushed silence in this room as much as things are very loud in other parts of the Warburg Castle. And there's meant to be this very, like, just pause of sacredness. And then you look at the sign, it says, nothing in here is original. I'm like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not sacred? I guess not. <laughs> I don't think Luther would have said it was sacred. <laughs> no, but that's the way it's kind of presented. Oh, okay. The well, Wartburg's a great castle to go and tour. There is... Um, just a sense of great history. It's the Warburg Castle is the first place the German flag signed during a, a confraternity celebration in 1817 of students. Oh, really? uh, it was kind of the revolt of the modern uh, that led towards the modern German nation. And uh, there's a, a great uh, gallery room where uh, symphonies have played and, and been broadcast around Germany. Um, there is uh, just a lot of good history at that museum. Yeah, I've uh, I, every time I go to Germany, I uh, I'm typically there for business, you know. So that's that's my first problem. Yeah. Um, and when I'm there and I have time, or when I'm there for vacation, we tend to stay around Dresden, Berlin area. Yeah, and there so, is a, a GM factory there in Eisenach, which is right below the the mountain from Warburg. One side note: if you end up people listening to this podcast, if you end up going to Warburg, the truth is. The bathrooms are small. And take a moment every time you find a bathroom to go to the bathroom because you will not find another one for a couple hours. <laughs> Good advice. Okay, let's let's take a break. And speaking of breaks, beer break. So this is the Black Lotus Brewing Company we are featuring today. This is their Detroit Hip Hop's 10th anniversary beer. Now they're based there in Clawson, Michigan. Uh, they, they have, uh, um, they're run by Mark... Harper, uh, Michael Allen, and Michael's wife, Jody, uh, which is, I guess, Mark's sister. So Mark was a school psychologist and musician, Mike a financial planner and banker, and they both longed uh, for creative and spiritual control over their careers. Uh, they were really disheartened by, they say, massive corporate entities serving up inferior products. So they got together with Jody, uh, who was a high school educator, and created this philosophy of think global, drink local. And that matches all of our beer breaks. We've been trying to think globally about the Reformation and drink locally. Uh, that's true. Uh, I, we've had one beer, two beers that were not Michigan beers. We had one from Ohio and then one from Japan. So, And really, both of those are as far from Michigan as possible. I mean, Ohio, I don't. I mean, that's <laughs> as far away as Japan is. So, so we have... Uh, they, the Black Lotus is committed to providing quality handcrafted products to each and every one of its customers. These products are served to the customers with timeliness, friendliness, and individualized care. Uh, they're committed to the notion that this care should be extended to the community at large and the world when possible. And it's accomplished by supporting charitable contributions uh, and activities that bring the world more creation, compassion, art, tastefulness, and above all, peace. So this beer we're drinking today, the Detroit Hip Hop's 10... Um, or X is an IPA American. It's a double Indian pale ale, a 10% adult uh, alcohol by volume. Uh, it is uh, the 10 hop edition, 10 year anniversary edition of our double IPA. It's a high gravity IPA with notes of citrus and pine and complements food and conversation extremely well. Uh, put on some vinyl, pour a glass. And explore the flavor of sound. You know, I really, <laughs> I, I really like this beer. This is a, this is a. It's got, it's got a nice it's got a maltiness. Maybe? Yeah, it's got a real nice maltiness. And you know, I, I was, I did some research on, on specifically this beer, and that was probably the one com complaint one person had was it was a little bit too malty for them. I like this. This is I like this. By the way, win-win for me that I used the word malty and you found it in a review with this beer. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting there. Each episode on these beer breaks, Mike is educating me. Independent. We had not talked about this in advance. I bring up the word maltiness. That was, that was a great point. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Nailed it. Okay. So, so this is a, it's a good beer, good multi beer. Uh, I enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. This is uh this is what I like about this IPA. It does not have this overwhelming grapefruit flavor. That's um, like founders, uh, all set all day session IPA has. I like this one more. Yeah, this is this is a good one. I, I'm a big and this th- is not an all day session ale either. No, no, this is a, no. You're gonna have trouble walking after. This is a 22 ounce one that we had here, and that's all they sell it. So 10. percent So 10. percent Yeah, it's it's pretty, now they have some fun here. They talk about ninjas. They have this. They're they're big on on the the, the they have a, a ninja logos around the place and they they talk about some some brew for metals we brew for the art of brewing because twenty years ago they were on a camping trip and they found some ninja writings and so forth it's they have fun with it they're having good. a blast with this stuff so it's good to see they're having fun and they make a heck of a beer so really enjoying this one so back to Luther at the Warburg and. During this episode, we want to spend some time looking at one of the things that Luther writes while he's at the Warburg is a commentary on the Magnificat. It's one of the books he publishes there, and it is somewhat intended or um, inscribed, uh, devoted towards Frederick de Wise. Now, James Kittleson, uh, who we... we we, we're really, Nearly every episode has got some material from James Kittleson. Yeah. He is one of the 20th century's most respected Luther's biographies. And he makes the point that this document best captures Luther's thoughts and feelings during his time at the Wartburg. So that really got me, at least, looking into, well, what what is in this document? Um, he's Luther's obviously thinking a lot about his place in the world. What's, what's he doing? Is it right? Um, and, and so Luther is going to look at... Mary's song, uh, the Magnificat, which is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, as uh, a devotion on the proper ways to consider the role and responsibility of leadership. Now, at first, I thought it was sort of an odd approach to talk about leadership from the perspective of the Magnificat. Uh, it, it seems like... Is that because it's a girl's song? Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's more that, you know, I mean, there are these... Mary was not a leader. Right. right, and by yeah. and by no, you know, she is never presented as a leader in the Bible, and and you've got you've got David, you've got Moses, you've got Solomon, you have all these people who are obviously leaders, and and so you've got all these biblical examples of leaders, and when Luther is trying to understand what is his role, his responsibility as a leader of the Reformation, he does not look to David or Moses. He looks to Mary. Which so we're going to take a little bit of time here and try and make sense of this for you. Uh, it, actually, I I think this particular episode, I I I spent hours trying to figure out. Okay, where is where is Luther coming from here? So we'll, let's see if we can if we can walk you through this. So so entry point into Luther looking at Mary is that Luther. Through his letters to friends, he's writing letters to people while he's at Warburg, and he is sharing with them that he is troubled by his role in creating a schism in the church. He does not want to be sectarian. He doesn't want to be divisive. He doesn't want to be the one that divides the church. Uh, like the emperor said, was Luther the only person in a thousand years who could properly read the Bible? And put another way, Luther was Luther. Luther's asking himself, am I being led by the Spirit? 
or I'm, am I being led by my own ambition? There is this struggle of, you know, there is a lot of pomp and circumstance wherever Luther travels at this point. Yeah. And that, that could inflate the spirit and give him a sense, I'm going in the right direction. And is his affirmation that he's going in the right direction because a lot of people are cheering for him or because that's where the word of God is leading him? You can sort of, uh, at least I thought it became clear when Luther wrote about the great problem of leadership. And, and I think it's in the Magnificat, his uh, commentary on the Magnificat, where he says, Since the heart of man, man by nature is flesh and blood, it is of itself prone to presumption. So there is a strong incentive for the leader to have so much presumption and smugness that he forgets God and does not care about his subjects. I do want a confident leader. Yeah. And, and yet... It, can it happen that the the smugness and the presumption of a leader can be so great that then they become deaf to what God is calling them to be? So Luther's solution, Luther gives his own solution here. And it says, all rulers should fear God more than others do, learning to know him and his works. So what what this is really going to focus on is the fear of God. At least that's my read of this. And the leader is never so great that they're greater than God. And so, and that doesn't undermine your confidence as a leader. You know, to, to have yourself in a right place before God doesn't undermine confidence as a leader. It doesn't, you know, and so it's this, you know, there's The this, humility of a leader that can still be confident is finding themselves in, um, in weakness to God, but in service to others. So when Luther looks at Mary, now he says, so when he's thinking of these leaders, and then he looks at Larry, Mary, and he says, Now in all of Scripture I do not know anything that serves such a purpose so well as this sacred hymn of the most blessed Mother of God, which ought indeed to be learned and kept in mind by all who would rule well and be helpful lords. And after reading through this, Mike, uh, you're starting to understand why Luther says rulers should look to Mary. Yeah, yeah. I think Luther believes that the greatest th threat to a ruler, and this is just my read of this. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm by no mean a, a scholar. You know, I, I make a point. I'm not an academic here. I'm just an engineer, right? But we're all baptized children of God. Thank God for that. But the uh, uh, so, uh, but I say, at least my take on it is that the greatest threat to rulers is to become presumptuous due to their great wisdom or power. Or wealth. So if I have wisdom, or if I have power, or if wealth, or if I have any combination of all three, I can become presumptuous that I am a leader because I have these. Yeah. And and what what Mary has, and what, what Luther points out, is that Mary is given a much greater gift than any of these things. Greater than power. Greater than wealth. Greater than wisdom. She is given the gift to be the mother of God. The mother of Christ. And yet, so Mary maintains her fear of God, even in the face of a great gift that God gives her. And, and so what Luther is saying is that it would be very valuable for anybody who has a leadership position or anybody who's been richly blessed, actually. Is to know that it is a blessing that they have. Yeah. It's not something that they've earned, deserved, or been able to create through their own hands. What they have is a gift. Yeah. And so... So Luther spends quite a bit of time outlining all this, why it's difficult for leaders to be faithful. And, we're and this go would through... be good advice for Frederick the Wise and for himself. So he's writing to uh, this commentary um, and inscribes it to as a gift to Frederick the Wise. But it, it really becomes his own kind of autobiography of struggle with leadership. Yeah, and this is something uh, many pastors, and that you've never, uh, uh, many pastors I've known over the years have mentioned me one time or another that 
a good percentage of the time that they preach, they're actually preaching to themselves. Yeah. And and that that's, and if I'm not preaching to myself, it generally is a, a poor sermon. Uh, oh, okay. I never heard that. I think yet. that's my opinion. Is that my experience is at the end of a sermon where I receive accolades or anything, I generally have found people are thinking it's a good sermon, and little do they know the reason it's a good sermon is because I was preaching to myself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, so this is this is an example of Luther preaching to himself. Even uh, while he's writing to Frederick the Wise. Even while he's writing and to... And so according to Luther, God only helps the poor, despised, afflicted, miserable, forsaken, and those who are nothing. And then <laughs> that really makes it a tough, very, very tough challenge for anybody who is in a position of authority. So, Because if you're in a position of authority and leadership... Uh, you're not poor, despised, afflicted, miserable, forsaken, and, and nothing. You know, that's that's not you. And so how do we understand the blessing of God if I think I don't fit into any of those categories? So let's start to untangle this a little bit. Luther, Luther, let's start with some definitions. Let's start with the definitions because the when we talk about wisdom, power, and... Uh, and uh, Wealth. Wealth, thank you. Wisdom, power, and wealth. Those, those are... He's those, using Jeremiah chapter 9. Yeah, yeah. So Luther references this and he says there are... And he's specifically talking about, at least my read of this, was that it's earthly wisdom, earthly power, earthly wealth that According he's talking about. According to Luther, each of these things is opposed by a gift of God. So if you have earthly wisdom or earthly power, or earthly wealth, there is something that is a gift from God that is in opposition to these three. So now, earthly wisdom, let's take earthly wisdom first. Luther goes through the trouble. He recognizes there's going to be a lot of confusion here because we are called to be wise, and and so by you know by the Bible. So what's what is it? Earthly wisdom then is a maybe the intellect, the reason, the wit, the knowledge, the piety, the virtue, a godly life. In short, whatever is in the soul that men call divine and spiritual, all great, high and spiritual gifts, yet none of them God. Uh, we might. Today, what would we call these things? I, I think we call it piety or or cleverness. You know, those. those I think cleverness is probably a better word. There's, the there's person a, who is able to quickly turn a phrase and, and win uh, a debate. Yeah. So th- this is the, so when we're, well, that's the kind of wisdom or or a great scientist. You know, somebody who somebody who really understands someone who just gets it, understands this stuff. Yeah. So, and that is opposed by a fear of the Lord of saying that as much as I know all these things, God is greater than me. Yeah. That's and, the opposition. And so that's that's what Luther sets up as being the opposition. So you have you have these great gifts of intellect, of wisdom, of 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 wit. Uh, you know, all this, the piety is another version of it you know, on the, on the, on the religious side, these people who act holier than thou, you know, that, that, but when it doesn't come from God, there's, you need to have fear of the Lord undoes that. Mm-hmm. And so, and all of that is the, the opposition is fear of the Lord. So and now that, let's go to the second power and that's the definition of earthly power. So that's all authority. And this is uh, quoting Luther here, all authority, nobility, friends, high station and honor whether pertaining to temporal or spiritual goods or persons, though there is in Scripture no spiritual authority or power, but only servants and subjects, together with all the rights, liberties, and privileges pertaining to them. So the gift of power is opposed by God's advocacy for the oppressed. And that sort of makes sense. I encourage anyone that is trying to understand what is God's view for the oppressed and the broken to read the book of Amos. Because there, the prophet Amos is just, 
he's just criticizing the people who think that that by their position they can do um, incredibly torturous things to the poor. And Luther says, uh, Amos is reminding the people uh, to seek justice. And to seek the justice for him is to speak the advocacy for the oppressed. So then the third one is earthly wealth, which is, and Luther includes, good health, beauty, pleasure, strength, and every external good that may befall the body. And the gift of worldly wealth is opposed by those who who lack the necessities of life. So let's review this, because this is this one is sort of tough. Uh, so let's review this according to Luther. Earthly wisdom, which I've called cleverness or piety, uh, earthly power and earthly wealth all draw us away from God. So the problem, the big problem here is that I don't know if it's possible to rule on earth without earthly power, earthly wealth, earthly wisdom. I think what Luther is seeking is in his self-examination, what is his ambition? Is he seeking that wisdom, that accolade, that he is so clever? Is he seeking that position that allows him to control temporal affairs? Is he seeking that earthly wealth of good health for him? You know, just think about all of his complaints about constipation. Is he seeking that moment of ease and comfort? And, or is he in all things thinking, I could give up the wisdom, the power, and the wealth as long as I'm advocating for God's word well and this is i mean and that's that's hard enough and then he he says luther writes that to make things even tougher god only helps the poor the despised the afflicted the miserable the forsaken and those who are nothing and keep in mind what he's doing is reading um the magnificat and where mary sings about how god opposes the proud and he breaks down the proud and he lifts up those who are lowly yeah so so here we have this this situation that Luther is saying, okay, uh, people in authority have these struggles against, you know, uh, with this, some power this and desire wealth, of coveting, essentially, and, and this ambition, and they mm-hmm. and and then they're given the responsibility to rule, and and in order to rule effectively, they have to have wisdom, they have to have power. These are things that are important, and wealth makes it easier. Wealth makes good all, health. Uh, good health makes it, so so they have all this the stuff that they need to do their job. Oh, it's so easy to get entangled. Yeah, and so Luther, this is very he he's really got a a tough nut to crack here, and so what he does is we're going to walk you through this. He starts by by defining man. And he, uh, he defines the three parts of a person as spirit, soul, and body. And so we're just going to set aside for a moment these questions of earthly wealth, uh, power, and wisdom. And we're going to talk now about uh, this definition of spirit, soul, and body. Luther says the spirit is the part that allows us to lay hold on things incomprehensible, invisible, and eternal. It is, in brief, the dwelling place of faith and the word of God. So that's the... That's the spirit. So, and then he goes on and he defines the soul. And this is actually something I've always wondered. What's the difference between the biblical difference between spirit and soul? So he says the soul is the part of the being that houses the things that can be comprehended, like reason and knowledge, along with emotions like hatred, love, delight, horror, etc. And then the body is what carries out the will of the soul and the spirit. The desires of the soul and spirit are then brought into action through the body. And so Luther compares this to the Old Testament temple. When he when he's looking at a person, he says it's just like the Old Testament temple. So the spirit 
Now, remember he said the Spirit is that which is uncomprehensible, invisible, and eternal. Then he relates that to the Holy of Holies, the place of mystery in the temple of God that only the priest could enter into once a year and only after making sacrifices of atonement. And then he talks about the soul. He says that's that's the place where the candlestick and the seven lamps are. Where That's the bread of presence. That's the, the place where the light of God shines. And you can start to get some comprehension, some sense of what's going on, and know that God is present as I can start to make sense of the world. And then the body is the, uh, what he says is the forecourt, forecourt open and to that, all. So that as men may see the works and manners of life, they are able to see how things are brought into action. So... So you've got these three parts to the human. Uh, and and so Luther really focuses and he says the key to that first question of ruling of all the different struggles that a ruler has of you know coming up against power, wealth and wisdom and being s- seduced by that is in so, the spirit. So we've got uh, soul, that incomprehensible thing, that body, which is the action, right? That spirit is the incomprehensible. Well, the spirit is the incomprehension. And right? then, and then the soul is the comprehensive. What you can comprehend, it's like knowledge, uh, uh, intellect, uh, emotions, those kinds of things. And right. so, so you have the, but the spirit is the critical one. That's the one that that's the that's, that's so the deepest, the most mysterious, the one that's most difficult to crack. That's where he says to go. Yeah. So he says, Luther says, everything depends on the faith of the spirit. When this spirit that possesses the whole inheritance of Christ is preserved, both soul and body are able to remain without error and evil works. On the other hand, when the spirit is without faith, the soul together with the whole life cannot but fall into wickedness and error, however good an intention and opinion it may profess. So let's go backwards. So if I only try to control my body, if I only try to control my actions, I, I may find myself uh, trying to avoid the threats or the hurts to my power, my wealth, or my wisdom. If I if I try to do it just through my reason and my my intellect, I will think I can get mastery over it. But in humility, when I see my spirit, that most deep inner part of me, and when I see that that is the inheritance of Christ, and when I preserve that not through my own works or labors or through my own reason or intellect, but when my my spirit is preserved in the work of Christ. I think that's a great way to look at it. At least that's what I took away from this. So then I flow from my spirit. I start with the humility of my spirit and say, I need God to be there in the most deepest, innermost part of me and him being the the fruit upon which everything else is going to be able to harvest. Yeah. Okay. And and, and I think that the danger that Luther is trying to point out is the proper place for the spirit is to be turned toward God. And when, when the, when the spirit becomes turned toward the soul, where it's the, oh, I'm going to look to my knowledge. I'm going to look to my, my, my wisdom. I'm going to look to my strength. I'm going to look to all these other things. It, it moves away from the Holy of Holies and everything goes out. So the way. spirit is turned towards God. Yes. And as the spirit turns, God, turns towards God, that then equips my, my soul, which is my, my knowledge, my wisdom, to be in service to God. Yes, yes. So it's almost a, a question of the the tail of the dog wagging the dog yes if if i let my body or my soul control my actions then the wag of the dog yeah the tail tail. is wagging the dog the The, the, tail is wagging the dog but if i let my spirit be in christ 
If I, I mean, if I'm centered in all that I am in Christ, then outflows from that something that's more pure. And so then he looks at Mary. And he says, now, and Mary says, my soul magnifies God the Lord. So her soul is following her spirit, which gives the Lord full credit for the great gift she's been given. So spirit is centered on God. So now my soul can magnify God. And then she, the Luther continues. He says, she had no thought but this. She regarded herself alone as unworthy of such honor and all others as worthy of it. So in her body, she has no worth that should receive this. In her wisdom and her knowledge and her expertise, there's nothing that deserves this. She would have been well contented with God had withdrawn these blessings from her and bestowed them upon another before her very eyes. But she now finds her spirit gifted. Yeah, because... She didn't see anything in herself. And so why wouldn't it go to somebody else? Is what Luther is saying. Luther continues, Therefore God let us remain therefore God lets us remain poor and hapless, because we cannot leave his tender gifts undefiled and keep an even mind. But let our spirits rise and fall according to how he gives or takes away his gifts. But Mary's heart remains the same at all times. She lets God have his will with her and draws from it all draws from it all only a good comfort joy and trust in god so just so it's clear luther repeats it is much more difficult to practice moderation in the midst of riches honor and power than amid poverty dishonor and weakness since the former are mighty incentives to evil doing so the wondrous pure spirit of mary is worthy of even greater praise having such overwhelming honors heaped upon her head i i think the joy of mary is to see that in her body and in her soul was nothing to receive these gifts. And that even in her spirit, there is nothing that deserves or this reward. It is entirely that God has turned her spirit towards the working of God, that then her soul is able to magnify the Lord, and her body is then at work in service to the Lord. So according to Luther, Mary succeeded in managing these great gifts that were given to her because of her low estate. And, and that goes backwards to earlier we were talking about how God helps the low, the despised, the weak, and the broken. So, and the, now here's where Luther felt, feels a need to clarify this. He says, The word low estate has been translated humility by some, as though the Virgin Mary referred to her humility and boasted of it. Which isn't really humility. Yeah, yeah. But that is very wide of the mark, he says. For no one can boast of any good thing in the sight of God without sin and perdition. In his sight, we ought to boast only of his pure grace and goodness, which he bestows upon us unworthy ones. So how does this translate to practical advice to Frederick? Uh, first, Luther says, Every one of us should pay attention to what God has done for him rather than to all the works he does for others. So have our spirit directed towards God rather than look and examine what our body has done. Exactly. In the second place, Mary teaches us that everyone should strive to be foremost in praising God by showing forth the works that God has done to him and then by praising him for the works he has done to others. So a little later, Luther writes, when men, according, uh, when men accord us praise and honor, we ought to profit by the example of the mother of God and say, or at least think in our hearts, O Lord God, thine is, thine is this work that is being praised and celebrated. Thine be also the name. Not that I have done, done it, but thou who art able to do all things and holy is thy name. So this is essentially saying that if someone says great job, you say to God be the praise. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and we ought neither to reject this praise and honor as though they were wrong, nor to despise them as though they were nothing, uh, but refuse to accept them as too precious or noble, ascribe them to him in heaven, and, to whom and, they belong. And that's actually, you hear a lot of people say, oh, no, no. You know, you say, hey, great job. Ah, no, it's nothing. And he says, you should say, yeah, it is something. It is amazing what has been done today. And it is entirely the work of God and to him be praised. Yeah. And this, you know, it'd be interesting if, you know, after I preach a sermon, it says, oh, that was a great sermon. I'm like, you know, it was awesome. You're right. It was a great sermon. <laughs> and I say, to God be the glory, because he is at work here today. Uh, yeah, And that's, and that's like, what Luther is saying, is not to reject praise and honor as though they are wrong for seeing what is good. Um, and don't despise them as they're nothing, because they have they to... They're gifts. They're gifts. They're gifts yes. from God, you know, and to recognize that. So during his time at the Wartburg, uh, Luther had a break from the fight. He finally had a chance to stop and think about his role as a leader and, and to take a look at his own ambition. But he wasn't just thinking about his role as a leader. In the end, I think he concludes that the right attitude toward leadership is being grounded in, a, in being poor in heart. Having that poor spirit is to need God. And if I know I need God for my spirit, then my soul is receiving all gifts from God rather than from myself. So, and then he, he, it's interesting that he never declares himself to be poor in spirit. But I think what this does, like we said earlier, where he's preaching to himself, it gives him guidance so, to go forward. And, and, that's and he found comfort in his assessment that the Pope's behavior demonstrated that he was uh, chasing earthly wisdom, power, and wealth. And that what Luther is seeking is to be poor in spirit and rich in the mercy of God. So when Luther is looking at this and he's, he can't help you know, are you the only one? And Luther looks at it and he says, well, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I know the Pope is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he's obviously chasing power, wealth, wisdom. And so this becomes maybe a way to view our own sense of leadership. Am I in this position because I want wealth, wisdom, or power? Or am I in this position because I am seeking to be in a place where God can be at work? Now, as Luther is considering all this, things were going on in Wittenberg that would require him to return to the fight. Except this time, he would be fighting his own supporters. And so we'll be covering in our next episode, what draws Luther out of the castle of Warburg, where he is guaranteed safety and brings him back into danger. What brings him back to Wittenberg? So uh, I guess that does it for today. Uh, I want to say thanks to Josh and the folks at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan. Recognition of source materials today, James Kittleson, Luther the Reformer. Scott Hendricks, uh, book Martin Luther, Visionary Reformer. Uh, Roland Baton, uh, Here I Stand, A Life of Martin Luther. Luther's Works, Volume 21, uh, had uh, the, the Magnificat. And the, that, that particular one had no introduction. It just... Boom. Uh, boom. Dives right into it. And so, yeah, the, unfortunately, it doesn't give you any context. And I think context is really important, specifically for the Magnificat. And that's why we've tried to, today, place it into the context of Luther being at the Warburg and trying to understand, is he wrong? Or is he um, placed in this point of leadership for a purpose? If you want to contact us, you can catch us at, uh, at our uh, email is uh, graceontap, all one word, dot podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or let us know if you want to have host a road trip. We'd love to get out and then see some of you. A road trip is where we show up at a, a local brewery near you. Uh, you invite maybe a men's group or people from your church. Uh, maybe it's a small group Bible study. And together we share a beer and have some good discussion about Lutheran Reformation. You know, I, I, I'm, in our last episode, I meant to put a little note in there. 
saying that I was going to be at the um, uh, the 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 Hitachino Nest Brewery in in uh, in downtown Tokyo, but it, it's actually I'm probably there right now. So it's as uh, this podcast is being released by the miracle of Star Trek transportation, <laughs> you are already in Japan. I'm going to be in Japan, and I'm going to be at the Hitachino Nest Brewery enjoying a Hefeweizen to see if that Hefeweizen actually, because I can't believe it. It sounded, it tasted like a sour beer. We we've talked about this a few times. It tasted like a sour beer. I can't believe that the Japanese would put out a sour beer. Uh, that just doesn't seem. So like you're gonna that. taste it in. Uh, you're gonna think globally and drink locally <laughs> while you're in in Tokyo, just like the Eternal Brew. That's right. From last week, you can also check us out on our our website, Grace on Tap, all one word dash podcast.com. And we're also on Facebook. I just place into the search window Grace on Tap Podcast, and you should be able to find us there on Facebook as well. Uh, we'd appreciate any reviews you could post on iTunes. It really does help us get the word out. Prost, prost. Prost.